Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support, and we would love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now, for our podcast teaching. When I was in high school, my weightlifting coach, um, he was a tiny little man, a little Italian guy. His, um, he, he was so big and strong. Uh, he was about 4'8", and he was so big and strong, and his chest came out so huge, we called him Mighty Mouse, uh, because he looked like Mighty. Do you guys remember Mighty Mouse? Here I come to save the day, Mighty Mouse, right? And uh, he had this giant chest. That was Mighty Mouse and those tiny little legs. And that was my weightlifting coach in high school. Uh, he, was, um, he was fearless. Uh, he was an offensive line coach for football, but he was also a wrestling coach for many, many years. And then um, he let my wrestling coach become the wrestling coach once he had you know, come back from wrestling in, in New York State. And um, his name was Almeida, Coach Almeida. And uh, he was just this big, giant chested of a man. And he could uh, basically lift anything, do anything, and he was just hilarious. And um, he would tell us these stories of back when he was in Vietnam, except he he called it Vietnam. He had a voice kind of like Popeye. He was the mixture between Popeye and Mighty Mouse. It was amazing. Imagine if Mighty Mouse married Popeye, and the offspring was my weightlifting coach. So he would tell these stories, and I never forget it. He just one day, you know, he's sitting there, and he'd always sit with his leg up. So I want to give you guys the demonstration here. He would have his leg up on the weightlifting bench like this, and he'd sit there, and he'd say the, these stories. He'd, so I remember this one time he was in Vietnam, you know? And he's telling the story of when he was in Vietnam. And he said, I was about 20 years old. I had just gotten out of you know, college. And uh, I, I, I had been drafted to go into Vietnam. And he's like, and I was a, you know, he, he had made the Olympic team, I think, for, for his weight class of wrestling. He was just, like I said, he was just this big, strong muscle of a person. Um, and Mighty Mouse versus, you know, Popeye spawn. And so he, he said, he's like, yeah, I mean, I, I had everything going for me. I thought I was invincible and the toughest guy in the world. And here I am, you know, I show up to Vietnam and he had done the Rangers, I think it was. And so he, he was in special ops and he was like, you know, I think I have everything together. And then I had to report to special training in the field training, I think is what he had called it. I had to show up for field training basically to get a debriefing on what to expect as you're in Vietnam. So he's in Vietnam, he goes to this tent, this guy starts telling them all about what the Viet Cong do to fight. And he said, okay, so as you're shooting, they'll, you'll be shot at from the palm trees. And so you'll turn around and start shooting at the palm trees, and you might have killed the guy, but because they tether themselves to the tree, you'll never see the body fall down. And he said, and that's a strategy 
Because what they do is they will have somebody come from a tunnel from underneath you and start shooting from underneath you. And so it's to distract you from what's going to take place down here. He said, so he's basically saying, always have eyes everywhere. Okay? So he's telling them all, all about the strategies of how to fight the strategies of the Viet Cong. And he's telling them how to go about it and everything like that. And he said, okay, and there's certain things in case you ever get where you're done with your rations and you're stranded by yourself. There's certain foods that you can eat. There's certain things that heal. And he starts showing them the different plants and the animals and different things like that. And then he begins to show them things to avoid. He says, okay, you can't eat this. And then let me show you how it looks. And he's showing them all these different things. And then he pulls out this snake. And he's like, listen, this is the most highly venomous snake that's here in Vietnam, and he's like, and you got to be very careful. As he's saying this, it turns and bites him in the pinky. The man immediately reaches into his pants, pulls out his Bowie knife, and chops off his finger. He takes out a, a rag, he wraps it around his hand as a tourniquet, and he starts to walk out of the tent, and he says, I would rather lose a finger than lose my whole life. And he said, at that moment, he realized he was a tiny man. Because fear grasped him for the first time. It prepared him for the seriousness of the fight that he was about to enter in. Friends, we are in a serious fight as well. Except ours is one of being waged for souls. And it's not about losing a finger... It's about losing a testimony. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 down to 32. Matthew 5, 27 to 32. Jesus says this, you have heard that the ancients were, uh, you have heard that it is said, verse 27, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Remember, we talked about that Jesus in these passages is talking about the inward man that he wants us to work on and build. Because as you build the inward, it comes outward. From the inside out is how He wants us to live. He wants us not to live obedient to a law in an outward ritualistic type of way. He wants us to correct our heart where we have love and care for God and man. And if you care for people, you will not have lust in your eyes for someone else's wife is what He's talking about. But I say to you, Verse 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust in his eyes has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It is said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. 
This is a lot to handle today, but we're going to break it down so we can understand it. The basic understanding of what Jesus is trying to get to in this passage is this. Cleanse yourself before it makes you fall. Cleanse yourself before it makes you fall. Remember, in the, we talked about last week that when Jesus is using that term hell that we have defined or written out here as hell in this passage is actually the word Gehenna. And for the Hebrew people, remember Jesus is speaking to the group of His disciples who are Hebrew people. To the Hebrew people, Gehenna was the place of cleansing. If you had some pottery that had been unpure because maybe it got touched by something that was unpure, you took it to Gehenna. If it made it through the fire, it was yours once again. If it got burned up, you just, what? You just lost it, that's all. And Jesus is saying it is better for you to have a loss here on earth than to have to lose a lot more when it comes to your rewards in heaven. And we're going to get to that in a second. He says, cleanse your eye so it doesn't make you fall or fail in life. Jesus is saying it's better to lose an eye in the battle to stay pure. You know, a lot of people say that this is Jesus saying, hey, look, if you lust after someone, you're going to hell. That's a big cost, isn't it? So right away, we can go ahead and eliminate that that's not correct theology or teaching. Because why would the cost be so severe that Jesus is saying that, hey, look, you will go to hell if you even think about doing something wrong? That cost is so great. It doesn't make sense. He says, cleanse your hand before it makes your entire body stumble. Cleanse your eye before it makes your entire body stumble. It is better to go without than to give up what you have earned. And we see a very similar understanding of this concept in Paul. Now, we have to take it and, and consider this. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says that he had spent time in the desert to be educated. He had spent time in the desert to be educated by Jesus Christ. I mean, what a beautiful thought, isn't that? The disciples sat at the feet of Jesus, and here Paul is saying, hey, look, Jesus had already been taken, but he spent time with me in the desert to educate me and build me. And so Paul's understanding of things and Paul's teaching of things would have come from his understanding of the background of Hebrew. Obviously, he, he called himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, as to the law, perfect. But his application of things would have come from Jesus Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus and being discipled by Jesus in the desert. So we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you would, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Paul says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. So run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. 
They then do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not just beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not get disqualified. Paul's saying, hey, listen, it's not about how you start in life. It's about how you finish. There are plenty of people in a race that, that stumble in the beginning, isn't there? I mean, I've used this example before, but it's so pertinent to today. Usain Bolt is considered the fastest man alive, right? You know that fast Jamaican guy? And, and it's said that he actually has like the, the worst start when it comes to... I remember watching the Olympics, and I remember seeing how, you know, for a split millisecond, he was losing. And it's like, they're, they're analyzing this, and like, well, he's going to have to clean up his start if he's, gonna, if he's planning to win. And it's like, he ends up lapping everybody. Why? Because it's not about how you start, it's about how you finish that wins the race. It doesn't matter if you have the greatest, cleanest start out of anybody else, and then you fall on your face at the very end. You know, a lot of people lose a race at the end. Why? Because they turn and they start celebrating and everything like that, and they don't see the guy that comes right past them in the end. We've seen plenty of those, haven't we? I love watching those videos where the guy starts celebrating and it's like he's about, he could taste the champagne on his lips and all of a sudden the guy that was dead last comes and just laps him. Because it's about how you finish. Why did athletes get removed from competition? Let's think about that. Because Paul says, hey look, I'm doing this so I don't get disqualified. I beat my body. I make it my slave. So I don't get disqualified. Why do athletes get disqualified from competition? Well, for cheating, for being out of bounds, for using performance enhancers, if we're talking about today, for giving up. You can tap out when it comes to wrestling or boxing. You can give up. Or your body gives up on you. We've seen so many times in, in the Olympic Games where an athlete will start running and all of a sudden their hamstring pulls, right? The body gives up on you. Why? Athletes train mentally and physically to overcome their weakness and surpass the competition. That's what they train for. They do it not just to finish. What do they do it for? To win. For victory. Well, brothers and sisters, I'll let you know that we have victory over sin and death in who? Jesus Christ. So what are we doing in our life? We are running to the victory of the finish now. So when we get face to face with our Savior, we hear a well done, my good and faithful servant when we cross the finish line. Amen? And that's what Paul is writing about with the idea of what Jesus has already said. Train yourself. Train your hand so you don't lose what you have. Train your eye so your relationship isn't affected. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you would, go there with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Taking a look first at verse 5. 
2 Timothy 2, verse 5. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the, say it with me, rules. He's like, listen, if you break the rules, if you cheat, if you go out of bounds, if you break the oath that you had made, if you do anything that's illegal, you're taken out. You're taken out. When Paul says rules here, it's the word noemos. Noemos. And he's speaking about the oath that was taken when you were going about to go train for the Olympic Games. He's saying, hey, look, when you go to, to train for the Olympic Games, you took a swore an oath that you were going to obey and you were going to do what you were supposed to do, that you were going to focus on your training. That's how intense the Olympic Games was back then. He was saying, hey, look, you vowed not to get distracted by everyday life, that you were going to commit to your training so you would be the best of the best. To stay in the rules of training and competing is what Paul says here. If anyone is to compete, he is going to stay according to the oath that he swore. It's speaking of the dedication of life and the dedication to sport. You compete to the rules. The rules are what says what you can eat, what you can do, how you are to train when you work out, the rules of how to treat your opponent, how to compete. Why? Because as Paul says, it's about that prize. Athletes train mentally and physically to overcome their weakness and surpass their competition. They don't train just to finish. Imagine how sad that would be. I mean, when I was in wrestling, my coach never said, hey, just, let's just make it through the whistle, right? No. What was it all about? It was about training yourself, buffeting your body, forfeiting having to, get to go out with your friends so you could be in the weight room in order to beat the guy that isn't doing the work. So it came down to skill. So it could come down to strength. And that's what Paul's talking about. He's saying, put your training to the test. And the test that we have is life. The struggle we have is every day. Don't do it just to finish. We're not running this race of life just to die in the end, brothers and sisters. We're running so we can stand before our Savior and hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen? So why do so many Christians get taken out in life? Because they're not staying according to the guidelines of the training that is laid forth in Scriptures. The temptations of Matthew chapter 5. Coveting your neighbor's things. Coveting your neighbor's wife. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 10, he says this, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. He's saying, for this reason I endure all things. 
Paul ties back to that word endure. Endure, it's an athletic term. It's the word upumenio. And it means to, to show the endurance of that repetitious life that you did. I remember when I was in wrestling, my coach, his biggest thing, and he would drive us all crazy. In fact, when coach wasn't around, we made fun of it, you know, and, and it was the thing that we'd always do as we were imitating our coach. He would always yell out, repetition, 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 repetition. Why? Because repetition built muscle memory. And so when we would joke around, we'd act like, you know, and think that coach wasn't looking, we'd start going to each other, repetition, repetition, repetition. But the truth was, what our coach was drilling into our mind is not just true for wrestling, it's true for life. If you're drilling into your life the truths of God's Word, when the moment comes and you need to overcome your flesh, when the moment comes and you need to overcome Satan's fiery darts and his methods and schemes that he uses against you, when the moment comes and the world throws itself at you, it's the repetition of your living. It's the repetition of training yourself in righteousness by the Word of God that helps you to overcome. Amen? Amen. And that's what Paul is talking about here. I overcome because I endure. But with the, with the Lord, we work for an imperishable wreath, is what Paul is saying. I'm doing this because I work for an imperishable wreath. I'm not doing it just to die. Because that would be sad. Our life is not about living just so we die at the end. That's a sad way of existence, isn't it? Paul says, listen, I am living my life to the fullest. I am living the abundant life in Christ. I am growing my relationship with Him. I'm growing in my understanding of Him. I, I could say, follow me as I follow Christ. Why? Because I'm doing it for this imperishable wreath. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. People do the Olympic Games. Why? Because they do it for a perishable wreath. Have you ever thought about that? Paul says, hey look, they do it for a perishable wreath. Something that is wrapped around their head. That goes away. It, it turns into nothing. It turns into dust. You know you can't find the crowns that they used to give in the Olympic Games? Why? Because it literally was just twigs of... of Olive leaves made into a, a, a crown. And then it was gone. And Paul's saying, hey, look, I'm not living for olive leaves. My life isn't built on nothing. I'm built on the solid ground of Jesus Christ and I work towards the imperishable. And that's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus says, hey look, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's the same concept. Don't work towards the perishable things. Paul's getting his ideas from Jesus. 
Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves cannot break in and steal. He's showing the contrast of worldly treasures and worldly crowns. Yes, it pleases you temporally, doesn't it? Listen, when you go after things that, that gratify the flesh, and that's what Jesus is speaking directly towards in Matthew chapter 5 in this passage we're looking at, he's speaking directly towards fleshly desires. He's saying, hey, look, if you covet your, your, your neighbor's wife and, and you go ahead and you grab at her, okay, or you think of it because your eye is taking in too much, then yeah, you've just gotten a perishable reef here on earth. You've pleasured yourself here on earth. But what is your eternal gain out of that? It's nothing. So work towards what is imperishable. Because I've endured for the sake of Christ is what he says. He contrasts that idea of perishable with imperishable just as Jesus does in Matthew chapter 6. But listen to what God gives. He says, God gives this imperishable reef, this alpha theros, meaning it's superior to all other things. It's lasting. It's the alpha. It cannot be lost. It cannot be taken. It cannot decay. Moth and rust cannot destroy it. Because it's a treasure that God gives. In other words, we need to live our life for the Lord. Amen? Because when we do that, it's never forgotten. It's never lost. When you act for God, it's never without reason. When you endure for His sake, it's never without uh, you know, void. Because God knows. God sees. Listen, do we believe that we have and serve the Alpha and Omega? Do we believe and do we understand that our God sees and knows? Do we believe that even when we're alone, that we're really not alone? Because that would change our life, wouldn't it? If we lived according to what we claim, that our God is present at all times and sees all things and knows all things and hears all things, wouldn't we live different lives? You see, the problem today is that many Christians are living life with the wrong focus in life. That's why Paul says, hey, look, when I live, I'm not doing it without an aim. I have an aim in life. A lot of Christians, they think that their life is just to trust Christ and live. And that's without aim. Paul's saying your life is with aim. Jesus gave you a focus to live by. So live it. I'm not boxing a shadow, he says. I'm not boxing no one. I am going into the ring for a purpose, and it's to win. I am boxing not just nothing. I am boxing against the world. I'm boxing against my flesh. I'm boxing against Satan. And yes, I might get docked down a million times, but a million times I'm getting up. 
And when I run, I'm not running towards nothing. I'm running so that I finish and I hear the well done, my good and faithful servant. My race is not a race that has no direction. I run to win is what Paul says in verse 24. A direct translation would be to lay a hold of winning. I run to lay a hold of winning. I grab at it. I don't lose sight of it. I don't lose focus. I don't get unbalanced or lose control. Why? Because Paul is talking about not getting disqualified by his lifestyle. Or as Jesus is talking about getting disqualified by the sin of your eye or the sin of your hand. Now Paul is talking about testimony here. Paul is saying, hey look, I'm doing this so when I preach that people might not disqualify what I have said because of my behavior. Later on, Paul would say that he is working so hard for this crown of life that he's disciplined, he's agonized, he's fought his body for the crown that Jesus says is better to go in life without a hand or an eye than to lose. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul knew exactly what was taking place in 2 Timothy. You see, 2 Timothy is his swan song. It's his last letter to his child in Christ. And you can imagine Paul writing this in that dank maritime prison. This dark, disgusting, probably hurt to breathe the air. And he's penning this letter saying, I know that very soon I'm about to lose my life. Nero had given the sentence, and I'm going to die. But he says, hey, look, just because I'm about to die doesn't mean that my life was for nothing. Just because I'm about to lose my head, it's not losing my head here on earth doesn't mean that I'm losing my head in heaven. For the time of my departure, my season is done is what he's saying. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. Remember the words that he said before? I'm boxing. I'm fighting. I'm running not without aim. Now he's saying, hey look, I know I've done it. I know I haven't been disqualified. I know because I'm about to lose my life and I can look back at my testimony. I can look back at all the things that I've accomplished for the sake of Christ. And I know that I'm going to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I know that at that time, what I told you in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Timothy, what I've told you to fight for in 1 Timothy, what I've called you to do, for not for the earthly crown, but for the imperishable crown, I know I'm going to get it. Listen to what he says. I have kept the faith. I've stayed the course. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Verse 8, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Remember, he says, I'm running not for the perishable wreath, but for the imperishable. And now he's talking to Timothy, just visualizing that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul said he trained so he wouldn't get disqualified. He learned how to handle his life. He learned how to handle that snake so he wouldn't have to cut off his hand. Paul saying, I would rather lose worldly pleasure. I would rather discipline my body. I would rather not lose my testimony because of a fleshly vice. Just the same words that Jesus is talking about here. It is better to go without. So you have the heavenly gain. You can see why Paul says that the Christian life is a fight. Can't you? The word translated fight here is the Greek word agonizomai. It's a struggle. It's a pain. It's a life-wrenching of agony. We get our word agony from it. It means to get in a deep muscle-wrenching struggle. It's to wrestle life for the sake of you not getting pinned down, but you're pinning life down. You're buffeting it. Paul's saying, my struggle to do right is a struggle. It's a fight. It's a strive. But I've built my faith. I've kept the faith. Jesus is saying something similar in Matthew chapter 5. It's better to go without. Without staring, without lusting, without touching, without cheating, than to lose out in the kingdom of God. Jesus is not suggesting self-mutilization for the sake of staying pure. He's not saying, hey, go ahead and pluck out your eye. You know how many eyeless people there would be in this world today? He's not saying, go ahead and cut off your hand. You know how many people with nubs there would be in this church alone today? Jesus is talking about casting what's impure and cleansing it to conquer it for the sake of His kingdom. Amen? What Jesus is saying is it's better for you to reject the pleasure of the eye, reject the pleasure of the hand, reject the pleasure of sexual sin, reject the pleasure of striving after what's a loss. But church, there's hope. Because a lot of times we look at these passages and we feel hopeless, don't we? Because it says that if you even think it, and a lot of times we think, man, how many times have I even thought after those things and I've failed so many times? You see, the beauty of Scripture and the beauty of Jesus Christ and our relationship with Him is that He doesn't leave us alone in our struggle of life. Amen? I love what John says, the Apostle John or, or the Disciple John, however you want to label him. He says, we've already been forgiven by our Advocate, Jesus, and He cleanses us. He cleanses our eyes. He cleanses our ears. He cleanses our hands. He cleanses our mind. He helps us embark in our agony and our struggle in life to stay pure. In our fight to keep our testimony, we are not alone. In fact, we see it in 1 John. 
chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. It says this. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Jesus just gave us the definition of what it means to sin in action and in mind. You've heard it said, don't cheat. Right? That's what he says. He says, you've heard it said, don't, don't go after somebody else's wife. And he's saying, but I'll tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already done it. So Jesus has just defined what this sin is. And John is saying, hey, look, if you say that you've never looked and you've said you've never touched, then you're a liar. Because that's sin. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and the Word is not in us. John, the disciple of Jesus, is saying, fellowship with the Lord is restored when we tell the Lord of our wandering eyes. When we tell the Lord that we've spoken harsh words. When we tell Him what's been on our mind that we shouldn't be thinking of. When we go ahead and we let Him know what we've said under our breath. You see, John is telling us how to cleanse ourselves from what hurts our relationship, our fellowship with God. He says, listen, if you say that you've never sinned or if you say that you don't have sin, then you're lying and you're calling God a liar because all have sinned. He's saying, so don't go around saying, hey, look, I'm not a sinner, I've never sinned because all of us have sinned. John's saying here, listen, God wants to make you pure and white as snow. He already has through Jesus Christ, but what you've got to do is restore the fellowship that you have with Him. All the wicked thoughts, wicked deeds, wicked intentions, that's darkness. And it hurts our relationship with Him. That's what it means to be in darkness. And deceiving ourselves. So to have fellowship restored, have communion again, He's saying, ask forgiveness. Just go to the Lord with what you've failed at. And if you say you have no sin, you lie because, as Jesus said, hey, look, if you even look at something with lust in your eyes, it doesn't matter about not acting out on it. It's the thoughts. It's the intentions of the heart. So the go to the Lord with your thoughts as well. Ask Him to cleanse what's up here. But if you cleanse your mind, you cleanse your eyes, as Jesus says, you throw them into Gehenna. You throw them into the cleansing. If you remember your sin and you ask for cleansing and forgiveness, you know what it says here? Jesus will forgive and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it's not even just the sin that you remember, it's the sins you don't remember because it says all unrighteousness. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Because how many times in a day do we think things that aren't pure? 
And he's saying, hey, look, I, I'll take care of all those. Just come to me. Give it to me. Give me your baggage. Give me your sins. Give me your doubts. Give me your worries. Give me your mistakes. Because he wants to purify you. Purify your mind. Purify your life. He cleanses your mind, cleanses your eyes, and he restores the fellowship. John defines this process of cleansing just as Paul talks about, hey, look, run in life to not get disqualified. Stay the course. Sometimes you get off course. But this is the way that we stay back on the path. If your eye causes you to stumble, he cleanses it. You hand it to the Lord. If your mind causes you to stumble, you go to the Lord and you ask Him to purify you from unrighteousness for fellowship's sake. Amen? You run so you don't get disqualified. You buffet your body so you don't lose the crown. Brothers and sisters, we are running in life. We're agonizing in our struggle. So we don't get disqualified. Go to the Lord and talk to Him about your struggle. If your eye causes you to stumble, cleanse it. Because it's better to go through life without than to lose what you've been building with Him. Amen? We're building a relationship. striving towards something imperishable. Dear Lord, we thank You for being such a wonderful and awesome God. Lord, we thank You for the symmetry within Your Scripture. That from the Gospels all the way to Revelation, we see the truths, that thread, the beauty of the truth of Your Word. Lord, we see the same talk that you talked from James to John to Peter to Paul, all people who sat at your feet and gained wisdom from the rabbi, the Savior, the Lord of lords and King of kings. And Jesus, the same gospel that you preached in John chapter 3, in John chapter 6, that same gospel that you preached Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Is the same gospel that was preached all through Scriptures, Lord. All through the epistles. All through the acts of the apostles. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Lord, we want to start that journey with you. With pure hearts and pure minds. Lord, take us on that road. Help us agonize, not for the sake of a reward. Even though, Lord, you do talk about a reward, you even tell us in Revelation chapter 20, I'm coming again and my reward is coming with me. Lord, we agonize for the sake of your testimony.
Lord, we try to walk the walk for the sake of your truth. That we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. And Lord, it doesn't mean we walk a perfect walk. It doesn't mean we live a perfect life. It doesn't mean we can tell people, hey, look at us. We've accomplished, we've achieved, we've earned. Lord, none of us has earned salvation. But Lord, you see us as worth it. You see us as loved. You see us as children. You see us as worthy. You see us as heirs of a kingdom. And you tell us in your word, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Lord, the moment we put our trust in you is the moment we have eternal life. Lord, that is the end. That is what we run towards is what you have promised and you have freely given, everlasting life. Lord, you've conquered sin and death on our behalf. So Lord, let us run our race in such a way that we hear the well done, my good and faithful servant. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that hasn't put their trust in you, that they would see the truth of your word from the beginning to the end. The truth is, we can't earn salvation. We can't earn heaven. It's only what Jesus did on the cross for us. Scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, everybody's running to an end. It's just Christians are running towards an end of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't have that forgiveness. They're watching online, Lord. I pray that they would believe as you let us know in your word. Believe that Jesus died for them, for their sins, for their mistakes, for every time they've done something wrong or thought something wrong. That he rose again three days later, conquering our sin and death. And that by believing in him, we have the gift of everlasting life. Dear Lord, Help us run in such a way. Help us buffet our body. Help us strive. Help us go, not as without aim. In this fight, realize that we're not boxing the air. Because we're running, we're boxing, we're agonizing for the sake of our King and the truths of His Word. We pray this in Jesus' name we pray and ask. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, as you leave today, remember our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We struggle against the principalities, against the powers, against the heavenly forces in the heavenly kingdoms. So stand firm in your fight. Stand firm in your struggle. Box in such a way as not at the air. Run in such a way as not just to finish, 
but in having the triumphal finish of well done, my good and faithful servant. God bless you. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast, a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.